Hey, welcome in to the Moving to Norfolk podcast. You know, I'm your host, Craig Houston. And with me, I got my favorite lender in the marketplace right now. We're going to be talking about one of the deals that we just closed uh, with one of our clients back in August. So this is a little late. We're getting to it right now, though. Uh, been a busy summer for those who don't think the housing market has been booming Need to understand it may be slowing down now, but we did have some time where it actually was pretty hot in this market right now. So I want to go ahead and introduce Deanna. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. Tell the people about yourself a little bit. Oh, so my name's Deanna. I work for a company called American Financial Network, and I'm a loan officer. I've been in the mortgage business for three years and also a military spouse and been in Hampton Roads now for a little over five years, but this is our second time being stationed here. So love being able to work with someone who is an expert in the area and also has worked with a lot of the military in our area too. So, you know, that is interesting. So how did you decide that you wanted to get into the lending business? It was kind of happenstance, actually. I was, uh, during COVID, I was home and looking to go back to work. I was home for a few years as we were moving a bit. And at the time I had a family member that worked for American Financial Network and she had mentioned to me, you know, you could go ahead and get started being a loan officer assistant, see if it's something that you're interested in and then decide whether or not you want to get your license and continue moving forward. So I really enjoyed it. I've always loved working with people. I've always loved working with numbers. So shortly after I started working there, I studied and uh, took my exam, passed it the first time and the rest is history, as they say. The rest is history. Okay, so we're going to have a good dialogue, obviously, on our deal that we did uh, with Zach. But before we get into that, let's just talk, like just touch the basis of some of the things that you actually get done over at American Financial Network. What are some of the loan products that y'all actually offer? So we can do VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loan products. Um, we can also work with 1099 employees, uh, self-employed people who need bank statement programs. We also have investor products like our DSCR loans that are for um, strictly for investing and that kind of thing. So we really can do it all and we can do all of that in-house. So those programs are underwritten in-house. We have down payment assistance programs available in-house. And of course, we can also do the Virginia housing programs here for first-time home buyers where they can either get that down payment assistance or get that grant money from Virginia housing. Okay, nice. So we basically already see that you are, are a wealth of knowledge already at the, at the gate, right? So let's talk about some of the things first and foremost that happened with our deal. And sure. then we'll get into some conversations as we progress because we may have to take a pause or so and just say, hey, let's talk about this for a second. Um, but I think that's, let's just start with the basis of our deal. We actually had a client named Zach who actually came out, said, hey, I need to purchase a home. He lives in Northern Virginia. I want to start with an investment property and I introduced him to you. Yes. Right. So let's talk about how unique was Zach's deal in this situation. First, I was so excited when I spoke with him because there is a lot of time. A lot of people right now are hesitant and they have that buyer anxiety or that buyer hesitation. And it was so refreshing to talk to somebody that was one relatively very young and saw the opportunity. And he knew that where he was in Northern Virginia, he might not be able to find the type of investment property he was looking for. So for somebody to be open to that, to doing the investing, to understanding the value, the long-term value, and for someone that age to also be financially prepared to do that was really awesome. So I enjoyed um, talking to him from the get-go. I was excited that he was somebody who was open to opportunities, like I said, 
And uh, he was he was just a great client to work with all around. I mean, he really understood the benefits of investing. He you know wants to make this something that he continues to do. So this was really him realizing that he wanted to start a little bit smaller by something where he knew the payment and everything was manageable for him because he knew that long run that was going to allow him to continue to buy investment properties in the future. So now that brings me to my 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 first question as we scared off the subject just a bit. How many times do you get a phone call from an investor who thinks they want to be an investor? They're trying to make their first time investment and then they run into a brick wall of understanding what it really takes to get that investment done. I would say more often than not. Um, a lot of times, even with our FHA loan products where you can live in one unit and then rent out the other units for a multifamily unit, uh, sometimes people get into the nitty gritty of it and we explain to them, you know, this is the full monthly payment and we'll have to get an appraisal to see what you could get as far as the rental value. And once those things kind of start to add up, oftentimes they end up just deciding that they're going to buy a house and live in it for a few years and then they'll figure out later if they want to rent or, you know, sell that house and purchase another one. So it was really refreshing to talk to somebody who had done the research and he knew exactly kind of what he was getting into, so to speak, with that. He understood everything that we had gone over and he was ready, you know, to make the move. There wasn't a matter of I'm going to wait until the time is right. It was like, I want to do this now. And Craig said, you can help me. So let's get started. Yeah. And I think that's a unique perspective. I just really think that um, sometimes I get these phone calls from investors and I think investors are great. I think they're great for the marketplace. I mm -hmm. think they help us uh, keep the economy flowing. And then some days they offload these properties in chunks. And when they offload them, they become like special deals for in individuals to pick up. But I do think that people do not understand how big of an undertaking it is to be mm -hmm. an investor and to start out so young like in Zach's situation to have basically the mindset already worked out in his mind frame of how he was going to do it versus what we sometimes like to call social media uh, investors who think they are ready because they see somebody say hey you can get you can control so many assets with so much money down and you know as little as possible and then it puts you in that situation I think this was very unique and refreshing, like you said, that we had a young man who knew what he was getting himself mm -hmm. into, was paid pretty well to understand and saved enough money to make the investment, make the leap, and actually get through the whole process. So let's talk about the lending process a little bit when it came down to Zach. Uh, not, we don't have to get into specifics on numbers or anything of that sort, obviously, but what was one of the, some of the things that you ran into when you started the process with him? Uh, so first off, he had been in the same industry for several years, but he had switched from a W-2 employee to an hourly employee. Now, let's explain why that's important. So whenever we're looking at your history for your employment history, we're looking at your pay history. If you're a salaried employee, then we'll just use a salary. That's your qualifying income because whether or not you're sick or take vacation or whatever, your pay is going to stay the same. Now, when you run into a situation where someone switched and they've only been at their current job for a few months and there is variable income, we have to be able to get an average. So we need what's called the verification of employment from their employer. They're going to fill now, in. Now, let's slow down. Let's slow it down just a bit. What is the verification for employment? What does that so look like? So it's going to break down how long you've been there, when your last pay raise was. It's going to show the breakdown of the types of pay because sometimes when you're variable, you might get uh, seasonal pay. You might get bonuses, commission. In his case, that was something that he got. So we had to get those forms from his current employer. And what we do is basically take an average of that, of the amount of time that he had been at that job. 
and use that as disqualifying income. So that's where we really begin with everything because it doesn't really matter what house the person is looking at or what budget somebody thinks they have. If they don't have the income to support it, then there's nothing that we can do. Mm, okay. So how, how many times when you ask for a verification of employment, does that freak a client out? Um, so I think sometimes it's interesting because sometimes people don't want their employers to know, especially if they work with a smaller company, just because maybe they don't want people in their business. Uh, but most of the time when I talk to people from the get-go, we do a lot of qualification, qualifying questions, as I'm sure you do when Absolutely. you're talking to new clients. And I'll ask that, you know, even before they fill out their application, because I'll explain we need two years of job history. Sometimes if they've just been new to a job, we actually have to get a previous verification of employment. So we may have to contact a previous employer. So we're very straightforward asking that. So I don't get really much pushback. Mm. And a lot of times, you know, we can send it for them. If they work for a larger company, then we have third party services. We order that through. Or in his case, it was a smaller company. So it was just a matter of me getting the form to him and then him passing it on to his, you know, HR manager and getting that done. Got you. Okay. So basically employment of verification, verification of employment just helps you basically understand the financial profile of income mm -hmm. for, the, for the client. Okay. So after you got that information, um, what was your next step in the process? So as we were waiting for the verification of employment, of course, one of the first things is to make sure the client's okay with us pulling their credit. We get their credit report so we can see not just the score, but also see the debt. So we use the debts that they have reporting on their credit with their income to figure out what their you know pre-approval amount is. Um, and then as long as everything checks out with that, once we get the verification of employment, then we just send off that pre-approval letter to their realtor. So sent that off to you and Zach. And I think you guys were looking for houses within, I don't know, a day or two of getting within a days, letter. Within days. And the... Uh, um the crazy thing is, let's. I, I like to make sure that we're we're addressing the audience and certain things, right? Because we're talking about a young individual who's already purchasing. But you brought up an important factor for a young individual who may be listening to this podcast, watching this podcast, mm -hmm. uh, hearing you say, "I got to pull the credit," and that may freak a lot of people out. Yeah. In certain cases, whether you're 18 years old or whether you're 65 years old, people are very funny about their credit, right? Yes. Which, I mean, you very want to be very protective, just like your social security number, right? But when we're talking to these young individuals and, you know, kind of breaking this down for them, what is the pride? What is it? What are you looking for in the credit score profile when you're actually going through it? Sure. Um, well, just I want to take it back just one step ahead of that. One of the reasons why it's important for us to actually run your credit is because we're looking at a FICO score. So it's a mortgage enhanced score. Okay. There is nothing that you can get from Credit Karma or any other site that's going to give you the same score that your lender is going to see. So wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me these third party credit reporting agencies that say, hey, get your free TransUnion score or anything of that sort are not the actual credit scores that lenders are going to use when they're actually no. pulling for a mortgage? No. So you actually have to get hmm. a mortgage enhanced score. So because sometimes, for example, and this happens more often than not, your score is going to be maybe sometimes 30 or 40 points higher. Wow. So you might look and say, hey, Deanna, I'm ready to buy a house and then be totally shocked when we pull your credit. And then it shows that, you know, you're not quite there yet. So. Okay, now uh, that is very important to know because I think a lot of individuals when they when they quote their credit score, they are like, "Oh yeah, I saw my credit score yesterday; it was six seventy, and mm -hmm. that six seventy is not accurate uh, a full of, of, of picture of the profile." Right. So, how much of a difference could that make in interest rates or in payment based on what so the points are? It can make a significant amount of uh, difference in your interest rate. I mean, for some people, it could be 
as much as like a quarter of a point, maybe even more. Um, but it's also, and of course your interest rate is going to affect your payment, um, but it also more often than not is going to affect your eligibility. Mm. Because for some programs, for example, our Virginia housing program, your credit score has to be 620. Okay. You can't even move forward with the program. And there are other down payment assistance programs where it's really important for you to have a stronger credit profile. So, and when it comes in relation to like the Virginia housing um uh, loan program where they're basically helping first-time home buyers with grant assistance or closing cost assistance. Is there a certain score that they need to even get to these grants that they want? Yeah, you can't get them at all unless your FICO is at 620. Woo. So that's why I tell people, you know, like you were saying, sometimes they feel funny about getting their credit checked, but at the same time, we can't really help you unless we know what's actually on the report and things are going to be weighted differently. So you had asked, you know, what can people do to get prepared? Um, one thing that's really important is to keep your utilization down. Mm, okay, so, let's talk about that. What, what, when we're talking about utilization, what is that? I, I don't, I'm not credit, sure. If you have a credit card that's like maybe $1,000 as a credit limit, you want to keep the utilization at 30% or lower. Mm, okay. So keep that balance at $300 or, not, or lower. Of course, you want to make all payments on time. If you have any late payments, that's going to affect your credit score. If you have any payments that are over 30 days late, that's not going to be good for your score either. And then, of course, any collections and things like that. Mm, okay, so if I am a client or someone who's watching this right now and I'm saying, man, I'm thinking about purchasing a home. I want to work with Craig and Deanna. I think my score may be like 595. Is there anything I can do to, you know, make sure my credit profile shapes up in time to actually purchase a house in six or seven months? Sure. So I'm definitely not a credit expert. I want to make that clear because obviously there are people that Sure. I didn't have the qualifications for that. But just from the mortgage standpoint, continuing to make your payments on time. There are um, secure credit cards that you can get that will help boost your score. And we also have a program in our system where if someone fills out the application and we actually, you know, assess their credit for them, we can kind of manipulate the program and say, okay, if we want to get Craig to a 680 to 700 for his credit scores, is there a way that we can get there? Okay. And that will also give us suggestions. It might tell you to pay a card down a little bit, or it might tell you to open a secure card, or it might tell you to, you know, open another credit card. Because just like you can have bad credit, there's also a lot of good credit that you can mm. have that can help your score as well. So what are some of those good credit situations that you can have? Secure credit is good. Having credit history is good. So if, for example, if you had a child who was older and they were thinking to purchase a home, you could add them as an authorized user on your credit card and then they inherit that credit history. Okay. So it'll kind of help them to you know, understand what's needed for purchasing the home and also allow them to start building credit and have an actual credit score. Yeah, so, and these are, so for the people who listen at home, make sure that if you're going to do something like that, you got a good, good credit profile. Yes. Right. We all want to add uh, yes. authorized users to bad credit yes. accounts because then you assume those, right? And, and then now we got... Now we got a bigger problem that we got to work through and try to clean that up, I think, right? Uh, I think, man, this is a great conversation. So credit utilization, right? That's one step of it. Mm -hmm. But then also the score makes a difference as well too, mm -hmm. right? And credit utilization and debt-to-income ratio go hand-to-hand. -hand. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to these credit scores, you say you need the minimum, but usually around 620. Um, how do y'all determine which credit score to use? Because it's three credit companies that you can actually get credit from. We always use the middle score. Mm, okay, got you. So the, the middle score, so whether I have a 670, 680 on one, mm -hmm. but if I have a 650, 
the 650 is going to be the median, the, the middle mm-hmm. score that you're going to use, or is it going to be the 670? It's going to be the the actual middle score. So if you had a 620, you said... So, so 650, mm-hmm. 670, 680. You're going to use the 670. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Okay. And if you had two borrowers, let's say you were going to buy a house, someone was going to buy it with you, and their three scores were lower, you're going to use the lower middle score. Mm. So you have to make sure, too, Ooh. if you're considering buying a house with somebody, whether they're going to be a co-signer or they're going to be, you know, living in the house and be a co-applicant, then you want to make sure that their credit is also good. So in, so this is important to note. And now this is like me, like, listening so hard to what Deanna is saying. You're, you're, bringing, you're bringing game today, girl. Look, so <laughs> check this out. So if you if your spouse is in the military and they have access to a VA loan mm-hmm. and then your other spouse is just a regular employee doing whatever job they do, whether it's salary, hourly, or whatnot. If one if, if the military service member score is jacked up and the spouse is as good, the service member with the VA loan is going to make it quite difficult to actually secure a loan. Yes, yes depending. depending. Although with VA loans, that is the only loan where there might be individual lender overlays. Like at our company, we don't do them below 550, but okay. you actually don't have a minimum credit score. That's required for a VA loan. What? No. So your okay. lender may okay. be different. Every lender you talk to may be different because lenders have things called overlays where they might say, okay, even though the guideline for this is whatever, with our company, we're, we're going to do it this way. So that's that's unique because obviously we're Zach's situation. He was not a VA loan. Mm-hmm. And we'll get back to that in a second because um, that's what the more of the story is. But realistically, what we're saying is, is that you really just, if you really want to know if you can qualify for a loan, your situation can be different in every situation. Exactly. And it's always best to get it from an expert, not your friend, Aunt Susie, uh, your parents, or anybody. It's, it's Today's market is so different and vastly different than what we even saw 10 years ago. Right. That it just makes sense to have the conversation to assess where you're at, whether you're good or bad. It gives you direction. Right. And the thing is, a lot of people think, you know, they get their credit pulled and they're like, okay, well, my score is going to go down like 20 points. That's not the case. Most people, it might go down a few points. As long as you're making payments on time, you're going to recover that well before you would close on your house anyways. But it's a matter of how are you going to know what to do if you don't know where you are? I think that is so, I think that is so true too. I do hear that a lot. I think that is an objection handling that I do hear a lot, but I think that's based on scale too, right? Mm -hmm. If, If you worry about your points going down 10 to 20 points on an inquiry, well, if you at the lower spectrum of the credit uh, profile, of course, that's going to be more impactful than being at mm-hmm. the higher end of the credit profile. Right. So if you're in the 800s, you worry about one person pulling your credit and it's not going down to 750. Right. You know, but if you're in 620, it may go down to it may 600. Go down a little bit, right. Right. So that, so that thing is just uh, based on scale of credit profiles when you bring it up. That is a great thing to be aware of as people, you know, make these, you know, these misconceptions that they mm-hmm. actually build inside their mind or listen to on social media or whatnot. Okay. So. We, we talked about Zach had his credit profile set up. Mm-hmm. Um, then you actually got the pre-approval back from his uh, verification of uh, employment history or whatnot for his income. So once we got into the market and shopping, um, Zach found a house fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did a virtual tour. Um, he found a house. We actually went in on the contract really quickly. And, man, like the, the agent is so crazy because when I got this phone call for this agent, uh, based on the conversation that we had, she was like, yo, this is the cleanest deal that we had offered. And I appreciate it. 
And but that speaks to not only you as the lender making sure that everything mm-hmm. was already pretty much good to go, which we'll talk about here in a second. But Zach's uh, situation was so unique because he understood and he was educated. Right. And I think that's a lot of times where we run into you know hesitancy with clients is they're not educated on mm-hmm. the processes of what they're looking for and what they need. And we address what he wanted to actually shop at. We address what he was wanting to look at for an investment. But him also understanding what, what was going to be required from you as a lender mm-hmm. made it seamless for us to put a, a offer that was not only concise, but really and truly couldn't be contested, honestly. Yeah. And I honestly believe, you know, some of this had to do not only with you having to fully underwrite it pretty much, only needing the address in advance. Can you yeah. talk to the clients who's listening to us in the future about what that looks like? Sure. So basically because Zach had been at his current job, usually they want to see six months of variable income. Um, but because he had already been in the industry and he'd only been on his new job for three months and the pay had changed, like I said, from salary deployed to variable income, I went ahead and did a pre-underwrite on our file. So basically, while you guys were you know, waiting to look for homes, it went through an initial review just as if he were buying a house with everything missing except for the address. So he had the, you know, what we call the conditional approval, which means that your loan is approved, but you may have to provide some more documentation. Might be um, just updated bank statements if that funding is going to be used for closing. And of course, we always need updated pay stub information. So I had that list of exactly what we were going to need when I got the pre-approval to you and to Zach. And so as soon as he looked for the house and he said, I think we're going to put an offer in, I reminded him of what we needed. He had everything to me. So when I resubmitted the file for the final review, everything was in there. All we were waiting on was the appraisal, which was also pretty, you know, pretty quick as well. You know, and I think what's another step that you talked about that it's important for clients to know. And I mean, I'll never say, you know, make sure that you got to check your agent on things that they do, but also make sure that you're asking your agent these questions. If we're not the team that you're using is that if you're getting ready to put an offer in on the house, know what your payment is going to look like for that house in advance. Don't get into a contract after the fact and say, oh, I didn't know that payment was going to look like that. So this is one of the things I always advise clients on is, okay, before we write this offer, this is what the numbers look like that we may have to use to get this offer done, right? Mm -hmm. Based on what you are, you know, you're you're advising me that you want to do and how much you want to submit. Well, do you know what that payment is going to look like? No. Okay, so let's go back and talk to Deanna. Make sure that you understand what the market's interest rates look like today. Yeah. That's going to affect maybe what you're going to get locked in at. Mm-hmm. And when you get locked in at that, this is what your payment is going to look like. Or Mr. or Mrs. Buyer, you're going to have to bring more money to lower the payment down or even buy that rate down or whatnot. So right. does that something that you typically see happens more often than not? Or does it always come back down to that? Sometimes the clients or get so hastily that he just wanna put an offer in. I think a lot of times when people get pre-approved and especially depending on area here, some people are finding something right away. Other people are, you know, maybe losing out on contracts or making multiple offers on, you know, different properties before they get it. Um, But I have to say, you're one of the only realtors that I've worked with that has told the clients, you know, make sure that you're good with all this before we sign it. And then also following up with me and saying, you know, can you check the payment information for us while you guys were at the house? Because he wanted to know before he put that offer in. And that's so important because you can do your pre-approval. You know, your pre-approval is normally good for four months as long as you don't quit your job or do anything crazy like that. Your credit report is good for 120 days and your underwriting approval is good for 120 days. But if anything changes in your personal credit profile or in this market, if rates are going up and down, that might change your monthly payment. 
And like you said, it's so much better to go into the process. You make the offer that way, as soon as we're able to, you know, get everything in and lock the loan, they know exactly what that payment's going to be and they're comfortable with it. You know, you did your due diligence. I did my due diligence and it just makes the whole process so much smoother. And I mean, in this situation, as we talk about investors, uh, investors always work a margin, right? Cause mm-hmm. got to have enough margin to have skin in the game, or at least be able to see that your, your, your home that you're purchasing for an investment is going to be able to eventually grow in scale. Right. right. So in this situation, he definitely understood how much he needed to bring it down to, to cover his, maybe his personal property fees or mm-hmm. his uh, property management fees, um, anything of those things that he needed to worry about. And that also made the, the difference in knowing that in advance of how much he could actually offer. And yeah. to be very competitive. We went against, I want to say if I remember right, um, it was seven offers. Wow, that's awesome. Seven offers, and he was the cleanest offer, but he also made sure he managed the payment that he was going to be taking on as well, yeah. too. Which is, imp- which is impressive for a young individual. And mm-hmm. that's why I think it goes back to education and having these, uh, these frank talks to make sure under- clients understand the direction and path that you need to take. Well, and a lot of times people, when they go in to buy a house, they see like all these, you know, maybe this huge house or in this specific neighborhood where they want to live. And that's what they want is their first house. Well, almost no one who lives in those neighborhoods is their first house. Right. Absolutely. You know, so I feel like he understood the importance. And this is something that I'm trying to stress with a lot of my clients now. If it's important to you to buy, if you're qualified to buy, if you're already spending a ton on rent and you're tired of doing that, start small. Buy something that's manageable. You want people to start, start small with purchasing a home? Yes. People. So are you saying that people don't buy their dream home the first time around? Definitely not. They're, we did they're, it. They're, they're, they're rarities, I guess you would say. There are rarities. And okay. I think, and because here's the thing, if you want to save for your dream home and let's say maybe the income isn't there, you're going to have to wait until you have 10, 20% to put down. Absolutely. How long is it going to take for most people to be able to save that money? I mean, let's just be realistic. Right. Whereas you could start smaller, live in a house for a few years. You can either rent it out and then use whatever money you're getting from that, that overage to help, you know, as qualifying income for your next house. Or you can sell it and then that nest egg becomes your down payment or whatever, you know, closing costs that you need for the home that you're looking to go into. I think it's a matter of, and this is something that Zach really had of understanding the importance of starting early. You can start early, you can start small. It isn't about getting to the finish line, you know, with that first house because it's, there's, nothing great about moving into a house and then not being able to do anything ever because you know, right. just because you're qualified for that amount doesn't mean that, you know, you know, your finances better than even your lender might know as far as other things that you have in your monthly budget. So just because you're approved for $500,000, it doesn't mean that you have to buy a house for $500,000. That is very true. That is very, some people don't want that payment. Like you say, I agree with you. And you know, the crazy thing is, um, as, cause I, I feel like we're, we're going to, we're going to trip over into another section here in a second. But, um, before I just want to say, you know, we closed that loan in like 20, 20 days, 20, 20, mm-hmm. 20 days. So like, here's the other thing in this market too, that you need to realize is that if you, the longer that you delay getting documents, the longer that you delay finding the house, mm-hmm. the longer that you decide on purchasing a house because you're looking for the right fit, which they're out to me. I don't think there's ever going to be a house that's a, a right fit unless you just build it from the ground up. Right. right. It's going to meet most of the checkoffs, but it's going to be something. Um, but I guess to say that to say this is that the longer that you wait, you can see an interest rate scale mm-hmm. up or you can see an interest rate scale down. Like I got a client now where they went from 
being qualified at three hundred and won the three hundred dollar pay. Well, they, they qualified for more than that, but they was qualified for that, and they wind up wanting to put an offer in, and now they're like, oh, I can't afford that pay. I don't want that. So now, yeah. so this is the risk that you actually play too, and actually in this it's this ever changing market that we're in right now is right. not being proactive in what you're looking for. I think the best situation is a motivated seller and a motivated buyer. They I can think, get I the job done quickly. And like you said, a lot of people will kind of sit and wait and they're waiting for the right time. But the thing is, if you're qualified, you can find a house. Craig's a great realtor. If you say exactly what you're looking for, the area you're looking in, he'll be able to find you something. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put in the offer where you're offering a ton over it, you know, right. over even just in this case with Zach's file, we knew that we had it pre-underwritten. We knew we would be able to close it before the end of the month. And I think that was a huge motivator. I think it was, you know, too. with the selling agent, because I even spoke with her after you put the offer in and she said, are you sure you can do it? And I said, yeah, we've done everything. He knows exactly what needs to get done. He's super quick at communicating. We're definitely going to have it, you know, have yeah. it closed by that date. I, I think that's where a team of uh, agent and a lender working together gives the client the best um, opportunity to make the most out of every situation that they have going forward for themselves. Right. So this is why when I recommend my lenders, I'm like, hey, we got to get this thing moving. We ready to roll. Don't waste my lender time because my lender ain't going to waste your time and we're going to get it done. And I think that's important. Now, you know, what is the, what is your message to the individual who is saying, you know, I have this low interest rate from the pandemic mm-hmm. and I need to upgrade house, but I don't want to pay these new prices. What is your take on that? Okay. There are a few different things right now to consider for a lot of buyers. And that's a lot of what I hear, even from people who haven't bought a house yet, right? Because the the historically low rates, I hate that catchphrase, but what we had seen is probably not, I don't know. If it happens again, it's going to be years from now. I'm uh, going to say it. I mean, y'all can, re, y'all can rerun this tape back. Frames, <laughs> they can always run this back anytime they want to see, see this anytime of the day. We ain't never seen those rates again. Yeah. If we see those rates again, you're talking about, there's, a, there's another national national catastrophe that we're dealing with to see right. something like that and i don't want to see the national catastrophe so right i mean i don't know you can write this back you can always rewind the tape and y'all can dm me personally this video anytime <laughs> that the rates come back to that level so one thing that i would tell people who currently own a home though is we're seeing that most people have right now that own a home i think they said something like 70 percent of people have a rate of four percent or less mm. but people have unimaginable equity in their homes that we have never seen before as well. So you're able to take what you have in your home with purchasing your new home. You know, of course, you're going to get that little bit of a higher rate, but there are a lot of sellers right now who are providing concessions that you can use to lower your rate, or you can use your own money to buy your rate down. And a lot of people are doing that right now. It's just the reality of the situation that we're in. If you're going to stay in the house long term, there's always opportunity to refinance later. Um, You know, regardless of what the market does, people are still going to be moving with the military. People are going to be getting new jobs. People are having babies. People are, you know, unfortunately passing away, divorcing, whatever might happen. Um, So you're going to find actually in this market probably more motivated sellers than we've seen before. Because I know across Hampton Roads, a lot of the homes and agents that I'm talking to, the houses have been sitting there for quite some time as well. So you might be able to find a way where the situation might not be as dire as as you're making it out to be. I think I think there's just um I, I was I don't know. I try to like be so conscientious of this of this topic because mm-hmm. it's it depends on who you are. I think the main right. thing first. But then also I think um there's an I call it um 
uh, un the pandemic and those interest rates made an unintentional landlord in my right. mind. Like some people are just understand the, the the cost of the money that they're borrowing doesn't even make sense to offload it. It, right. it just doesn't. So like, I mean, so to me, you almost got to look at it as this is just some suggestions, right? I just think that if you are in the marketplace right now or considering entering the marketplace and you have a home already with low interest rates, I would say maybe you want to just get a rental analysis, honestly. Mm -hmm. And you don't have and it doesn't mean that you have to do anything with it, but I would say look in your your market and kind of understand what is would your home and similar to you in your neighborhood, sell for and rent for right now. Right. If it rents for more than what, maybe it it's quite possible it rents for almost double than what you actually have on the mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. And you can look at that as a way of maybe, you know, using that as a net positive to your next mortgage that you may qualify for. Because as a lender, you're going to look at it if they're offsetting that mortgage. Right. That mortgage is no longer in existence, but they can't. But you can't use all the profit from it. Right. Is that right. true? So then if you can't use all the profit, but you at least know that you have this income coming mm -hmm. in, you can almost get almost almost the same rate theoretically right. in payment. It wouldn't look like that when you buy the house. Mm -hmm. But when you're making that payment every month, it's almost similar to the same rate that you have in the house that you're currently sitting there right now. But it could be a more expensive house and even probably an even nicer house. Right. Almost. And that's the thing, you know, people really um, now I think it's the time to link up with a lender and a realtor who are creative thinkers and can look at the whole situation and can, like you said, say, does it make sense to sell the house? Does it make sense to rent the house? You know, what type of house are you looking to get? Because everyone's situation, like you said, is going to be completely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's some of the things that um you got to really take into consideration when mm -hmm. it happens. Um, I just think that right now the, the myth of, I won't say the myth. I just think the false sense of uh of security of saying, oh, I'm going to wait for these interest rates to come down doesn't, does not, for people who are not in the market and for people who are not working in this market to feel that, I feel like right now you got to realize it's, a, it's an all-time low right now applications for mortgages mm -hmm. since, we, since we came out of the pandemic. Well, when the interest rates continue to start get a little bit better where people start feel like, oh, 6% is not bad, 6.5% is not bad, you're going to see more people coming to the marketplace. You're going to see cash show up again because people have been trying to sit cash to the side. You're going to be in multiple contentious offers where now you may not even be able to afford the house that you wanted anyway, because you waited right. while the marketplace was sitting on the sideline. So I think it's with people may think I'm crazy. And it does sound like I'm coming. It's coming from a realtor who may feel that he's got to say it, but honestly, it's probably the best time to buy in the marketplace right now because the cost of buying is only going to increase as the interest rates decide to come down. Right. And we've already seen that, in some places, the interest rates have gone up and so have the housing prices. Yes. So people who are waiting for the rates were expecting that the rates were going to go up and the prices are going to go down. We're not really seeing that yet, at least in our part of Hampton Roads where we are. Yeah. And that's what I say all the times that, you know, everyone I think takes and takes well forgets that we are having a military, we have a military market here mm -hmm. and with the military market being here, it's going to be always be able to stabilize our economy in Hampton roads. Um, and so with that being the thing, you're going to have to deal with those prices and it's going right. to, and now I think we just caught up. I told someone the other day, they thought I was crazy. I said, I think honestly, Hampton roads home prices have been so, so suppressed for so long until mm -hmm. we went into the pandemic that now they are more like, they're just probably catching up to speed to where they should have been at, maybe five to eight years ago. Yeah. So now we've caught up and now it's stabilizing versus just cratering. And now this is going to probably be your new norm 
in in this area. And and being a, a former vet, I mean, basic allowance for housing. It's got some. It's got some work to do. It's got some yeah. catching up to do to, to make to help service members become whole on where they're at. It may not ever catch up to where the median sales price is, mm-hmm. but it's got to be substantially a little bit better to help these service members actually stay in some of these homes that they actually got to afford. Yeah. If they don't have the low interest rates, the environment that we was in before. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that, and I do feel like here, you know, across, you know, across the board, we see that this is a time where applications and things are going to be down. But I know for me this time last year, this is when I was getting a lot of traction Mm. because a lot of people are looking to move either during the Christmas holidays or right after the new years, once their kids are in that middle of the school year with it being such an active military community. So if you're already in the area and you're thinking about buying a house, this is a really good time to start the application process just to see what you would qualify for if you're qualified so you can see what direction you need to go in. Nice. Okay, so look, we're, we're going to leave it there because, man, Deanna, this is a great conversation. I yeah, appreciate this. Me. Hey, so let's tell the viewers where they can find you at. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at um, Home Loans with Deanna. You can also find me at Facebook, Deanna Ashton, or of course, always shoot me an email, dashton at afncorp.com. All right. We're going to link all that in the show notes as well, too. I appreciate you once again for being here. And once again, you already know this is the Moving to Norfolk podcast coming from the At Coastal Live studio. We'll catch you in the next one. Y'all be good. Y'all stay safe. Peace.